Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Before we jump into what uh, promises to be a vigorous uh, discussion, important discussion, about Bears Ears National Monument, uh, we have a couple of uh, items of unfinished business from a program from last week. We uh, responded to uh, President Trump pulling the United States out of the Paris Climate Accord. And we had uh, several comments during the program. We had a couple that came in after the program. I wanted to get those in uh, today. This first uh, is up from Claudia. Claudia says, I'm sorry, but the science community idea that some people are informed and uninformed or educated and or undereducated on climate science is faulty. I wish people would stop playing this like religion. Quote, you must believe, unquote. You don't have to get others to believe. You can argue your points based on what we all need. Clean water, clean air, safe land to live. No one has worked harder than Japan at keeping their climate change commitments. And yet they lose 10,000 people in a tsunami and get uh, permanent nuclear pollution for their deep commitment to clean energy. What I'm saying is, if these climate actions worked, wouldn't they have worked in Japan where they were totally committed to them? Just wondering here. That's Claudia. Thanks uh, for that uh, comment. Next up, responding to our program on the uh, Paris Accord, is uh, Chris in uh, North Logan. Chris says, Dear UPR Access, I listened to a portion of your program this evening in which you stated that roughly a two-thirds majority of Utahns are in favor of U.S. remaining in the Paris Climate Accord. I think Dr. Robert Davies, physicist at USU, cited that uh, um, survey. This was surprising to me, says Chris. It made me want to voice my opinion. I was very pleased that President Trump has made strides toward pulling our country out of the Paris Climate Accord. Of course, uh, climate cycles have happened for eons. There are complex interactions and trade-offs of many types to be considered when any proposed action aiming to uh, counteract the natural course of a low-frequency climate cycle. I do not understand in enough detail all of the information that's relevant to the analysis of the problem that the Paris Climate Accord aimed to address, and in this respect, I'm in the company of most people, but I do fairly, uh, I do fairly have a deep, fairly deep understanding of mathematics, science, and engineering, and that in the environment, everything is connected, pretty much. I also understand that the, uh, the importance of the principle, let the buyer beware, when making choices about how to spend money. With our country buried in debt, making expensive commitments such as the Paris Climate Accord without a more substantial benefit than is projected is not wise, in my opinion. As I understand it, the environmental benefit of full compliance with the Paris Climate Accord can be approximately characterized as being similar, in effect, to slowing down the rate of volcanic eruptions by some arguably small percentage. Perhaps there are other ways of viewing the estimated environmental benefits of compliance with the Paris Climate Accord, but... From that perspective, at least, I feel very justified in questioning the value of complying with it. It is true that dumping money into something, anything, in the name of the environment may cause many people to feel they're doing a good thing and that they have helped contribute to solving a problem that's larger than them, or at least that they have not contributed to some problem. I also recognize that the public and private money that would flow because of efforts to comply with the accord would probably result in personal benefits in terms of some interesting jobs. But in the end, if the public and private money spent with the intention of helping the environment does not yield significant results toward that end, if it merely shifts some global temperature trend by a few decades at best, will it not have been a poor and wasteful investment? If we can foresee the benefits will not justify the expenditures, are we not obligated to wait rather than waste current resources? Is the science mature enough to base significant sacrifices of property rights and economic prosperity? I worry it's not mature enough. 
I'm confident that intellectually honest, practical-minded environmental scientists uh, also worry that science is not sufficiently mature. This is a big deal. Let's not make a mistake. We cannot afford it. It would not be good for our generation nor for future generations. If there are things to be done that will be effective, let's get them right the first time. Analysis and exploration of options is cheap compared with committing ourselves uh, to an expensive agreement that offers a marginal environmental benefit or even no environmental benefit, of some, as some argue convincingly. The choice is ours. Environmental issues have become so politicized that they are often presented in oversimplified form. We must educate ourselves and decide. That's Chris in North Logan. Welcome, or thank you for that, and uh, keep those comments coming to upraccess at gmail.com. Welcome now to Access Utah. Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke has released his interim report on Bears Ears National Monument. His recommendations included reducing the size of the monument and seeking congressional approval, authorizing tribal co-management and designation of areas that fall outside the revised monument as national conservation or recreation areas. Secretary Zinke, by the way, has extended the public comment period to July 10th. Supporters of the existing monument say that public lands create jobs and protect America's cultural and historical legacy. Opponents say that uh, Bears Ears is a federal land grab. It's too big. It's impairing the area's economy. We want to know what you think. We blocked out at least an hour and a half today, an extended version of the program. We're going to talk about all aspects of the future of Bears Ears, and you can comment right now to upraccess at gmail.com. Our phone number is 800-826-1495. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Chris Sager, Executive Director of the Western Values Project, Bruce Adams, San Juan County Commissioner, Regina Lopez-White-Skunk former Ute Mountain Ute Councilwoman and Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition Chair and Representative Mike Noel, from, uh, Representative, uh, Republican from Kanab. We bring in first uh, Robert Kiter, Director of the Wallace Stegner uh, Center for Land Resources and the Environment at University of Utah. He's also Wallace Stegner Professor of Law and University Distinguished Professor there at uh, University of Utah. Dr. Kiter, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. We appreciate uh, your uh, expertise. Uh, I want to uh, start our discussion, uh, Professor Kiter, uh, talking about uh, the powers of the president under the Antiquities Act. I think some of this has not been tested in court. Uh, courts. Uh, f- uh, what can a subsequent president do uh, to a national monument created by a previous president? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, the Antiquities Act uh, is uh, pretty explicit in saying that the president has the authority to declare or establish uh, national monuments. Uh, it's silent uh, regarding uh, uh, other powers that might be available to the president. Uh, that, uh, I think, uh, pretty much uh, leaves it up to uh, the courts uh, to decide, uh, should President Trump decide to uh, uh, either reduce the size of the Bears Ears National Monument or alternatively, which uh, would now seem unlikely given Secretary Zinke's report, uh, to seek to rescind or abolish the monument. Um, in the past, uh, there's no precedent uh, on the books for presidents uh, abolishing national monuments or rescinding them. Uh, there is some precedent for uh, presidents uh, altering uh, the boundaries of established national monuments. And that appears to be what uh, Secretary Zinke's and one of his interim recommendations is. He doesn't say shrink. He says, I think, uh, change the size of the monument. But within the context of the president's executive order, it uh, seems clear that that's probably the, the direction the president would go. Uh, that's, uh, that certainly seems to be the case. And it uh, also appears, uh, again, based on 
the language of the interim report uh, that Secretary Zinke's, uh, uh believes that the Antiquities Act uh, is or ought to be focused on uh, relatively uh, small and discrete areas that involve uh, cultural uh, artifacts, historic objects, um, cultural sites, that sort of thing, uh, which is... Uh, uh, one reading of the Antiquities Act uh, that one uh, might make, uh, but uh, the Antiquities Act also speaks in terms of the protection of, quote, uh, other objects of historic or scientific uh, interest um, uh, that must be upon lands that are owned by the United States. Uh, and uh, past presidents, uh, actually beginning with uh, Theodore Roosevelt, have uh, found that language uh, sufficient to designate uh, large areas uh, or landscapes as national monuments. Uh, and um, in the case, in the Roosevelt case, uh, he designated the Grand Canyon uh, as a national monument, and ultimately the Supreme Court uh, sustained uh, that presidential action, uh, which suggests that uh, uh, the act uh, is, uh, in fact, uh, broader than uh, just uh, protecting uh, discrete areas. Uh, having said that, it's also important to note that the Act uh, speaks in terms of uh, when the President makes these uh, national monument designations, that they're to be confined to the smallest area compatible with the proper care and management of the objects to be protected. Uh, uh, notwithstanding that language, again, uh, the Supreme Court uh, and a variety of lower courts since then uh, have uh, sustained uh, large designations, uh, uh, such as uh, the Grand Staircase Escalante that we're all familiar with here in Utah. Uh, so uh, I wonder if you take us back to the, the original purpose of the Antiquities Act and how that, uh, that, that scope, that purpose may have changed, at least as interpreted over time. Um, well, if you if one digs into the legislative history of the Antiquities Act, it's it's clear that uh, one of the principal motivations for it was to uh, get a handle on uh, looting uh, and that sort of thing that was going on with respect to Native American uh, ruins and artifacts, uh, principally in the Southwest, but not exclusively there. Uh, but uh, uh, digging a little bit deeper into the legislative history, it appears that uh, there was uh, movement at the time uh, to uh, have the president have the authority to designate uh, natural areas um, as uh, national monuments. And ultimately, this uh, language of uh, objects of historic or scientific uh, interest uh, was uh, included in the legislation, um, and again, uh, the courts have read that to justify uh, larger areas as being included uh, uh, within the President's uh, National Monument Proclamation Authority. So one interpretation that you hear from at least one side in this argument is that uh, this is uh, this is abuse of the original intent of the Act, right? If, uh, those who don't like the more expansive uh, in, interpretation, you're saying the courts have upheld a larger interpretation. I guess the Reverse can be true, right? The the scope can be interpreted more narrowly by a subsequent president. Uh, that's that certainly is the case, um, and that appears to be uh, the interpretation that uh, Secretary Zinke is suggesting by his uh, interim report that you referred to uh, earlier. He seems to be suggesting that there are some uh, discrete uh, uh, areas uh, within the Bears Ears uh, designation that merit national monument protection, but that uh, other areas. Uh, uh, in his view, uh, don't, uh, although at the 
same time, as as you noted in the setup, uh, he's uh, suggesting that Congress consider designations like a national conservation area or national recreation area to um, address uh, uh, management of those other areas, some of those other areas. I guess we to my next question. Uh, it's my view, this is my characterization, but it, uh, I've heard others uh, say this. That um, one of the reasons presidents are using the Antiquities Act in this way um, is that Congress isn't acting. Congress hasn't acted on you know. In a, a very uh, public recent example was the um, the PLI initiative that, uh, that didn't get anywhere in Congress. Um, well, it, I think it is uh, is true when one looks at the history of. Uh, uh, preservation within uh, uh, Congress and uh, its action on proposals for, for example, uh, new national parks, uh, or Congress also has the authority to designate national monuments uh, or wilderness areas, uh, and in particular wilderness areas, that's uh, become a hot-button uh, political issue, and Congress has uh, uh, certainly moved uh, very slowly uh, on uh, designating new wilderness areas, um, as reflected in the fact, uh, as you noted, that the uh, PLI, uh, Public Lands Initiative from Representative Bishop, uh, went nowhere in Congress uh, this past session and seemed uh, to lay the, the groundwork uh, for President Obama's uh, Bears Ears designation. Secretary Zinke, uh, there are, in his interim recommendation, there are four. Three of those would require congressional action. And uh, the last of those, you mentioned wilderness. He, he is, he's recommending that Congress clarify the intent of management practices of uh, wilderness uh, study areas within the monument. Uh, That's correct. Uh, Certainly three of the four recommendations would involve congressional action, um, and the the other one uh, could potentially involve uh, congressional action. That's the one speaking to reduction in size of the monument. Uh, Regarding the uh, uh, wilderness areas and wilderness study areas, um, in the uh, past, uh, uh, and certainly since the Wilderness Act passed, uh, wilderness designations have generally been regarded as an overlay on the uh, existing land uh, designation uh, and take precedence uh, in terms of uh, future management of those areas, uh, in part uh, or in large part because wilderness designations are done exclusively by Congress, uh, which also is true, incidentally, of wilderness study areas. They are designated by uh, uh, Congress or at least authorized by Congress. And um, uh, it would seem to me, uh, again, based on past uh, practice uh, and precedent, that a congressional wilderness designation or authorized WSA uh, would uh, continue to prevail as the, uh, uh, in terms of the level of protection that uh, lands would enjoy, uh, wilderness areas within national parks uh, take precedence over the national park uh, management standards uh, where uh, park lands have been designated as wilderness areas by Congress. So I think uh, almost certainly if the president decides, this is not the, the secretary's uh, recommendation, if the president decided to rescind the National Monument, we'd be headed to court. Uh, what if the president uh, does decide to reduce the size? Are, are we headed to court as well? Uh, that would be my guess, um, yeah, given uh, what uh, what you hear from uh, various uh, groups and organizations that support uh, the Bears Ears. Uh, the president's authority to uh, reduce the size of uh, national monuments has never been tested in court. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, the 
past presidents have uh, reduced uh, the size of monuments uh, in the past. Uh, not since, however, not since uh, 1963. So there's uh, roughly 50 years since that. Uh, occurred, and in that interim, uh, legal scholars have pointed out that Congress adopted the Federal Land Policy and Management Act uh, that uh, uh, speaks explicitly to the Secretary's authority to modify uh, or rescind uh, national monument designations and makes clear that the uh, uh, Secretary does not have uh, that authority, uh, only Congress does. Uh, reading the legislative history surrounding that provision, um, it would appear that Congress intended to reserve for itself uh, that uh, rescission or modification authority, and, and that's where uh, I think uh, the focus would be uh, should uh, President Trump decide to um, reduce the size of the Bears Ears National Monument. Final question for you, uh, Professor Kider. Um, I think uh, some are wondering, um, this is, and Secretary Zinke said it, um, this is public land, right? It was public land. It will be public land no matter what happens with the monument. Uh, it's, I guess it's just a matter of what level of protection or, on the other side, um, restriction that is put on the land. Uh, that, uh, that is certainly true. Uh, the Antiquities Act only applies to uh, public land, or uh, and it's only that uh, uh, type of land that can be uh, potentially designated as um, a national monument. All right. Uh, professor uh, Robert Keiter, who is a university professor, university distinguished professor, Wallace Stegner Professor of Law, and he's uh, director of the Wallace Stegner Center for Land Resources and the Environment at University of Utah, has been our guest to the first part of the program here. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Representative Mike Noel, Republican from Kanab. Later in the program, Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk, who is with the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition, Bruce Adams, San Juan County Commissioner, and Chris Sager, Executive Director of Western Values Project. Stay with us. We want to know what you think. We're talking about Bears Ears, the future of Bears Ears. Secretary Zinke's interim report is out. He is recommending reducing the size, among other recommendations, of the Bears Ears. Upraccess at gmail.com is our email, upraccess at gmail.com, and uh, 800-826-1495, our phone number. More following this break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking about Bears Ears National Monument and related public lands issues. You're welcome to join the conversation. Hope that you will. Love to get your perspective on this. 800-826-1495 is our toll-free number. You can email us to upraccess at gmail.com. And uh, we uh, are talking about the interim report, the interim review mandated by uh, President uh, Trump. He uh, ordered uh, Secretary Zinke to uh, do a review. Of course, uh, Secretary Zinke came to Utah. He's now out with some interim recommendations. He's extended, by the way, the uh, comment period to July uh, 10th. We bring in now Representative Mike Noel, Republican from uh, Kanab. Representative Noel, thank you. Representative Noel, are you there? Okay, okay, it sounds like we're having some phone problems. Uh, we will get Representative Noel right back. Uh, this uh, this uh, would be a good time for me uh, to read an email. This is from Veronica in uh, Teasdale. And uh, she says, The Trump administration has just signaled that it values resource extraction above all else. 
With Secretary Zinke's interim report on Bears Ears National Monument, I shudder to think what's in store for the other 20-some monuments on the block. Zinke utterly failed to consider the economies of the surrounding communities in his decision, relying instead on irresponsibly faulty input from state and county officials. Since Zinke's non-listening tour in May, a new organization representing those communities and their flourishing businesses it's called has been formed. It's called the Alliance for Conservation Economies, or ACE. It already has over 50 members from Bluff to Kanab and growing. These businesses and individuals have pledged to help educate the travel and leisure public and local politicians about the reality of economic impacts of our public lands. Veronica has attached a report. Uh, she says, I've attached a recent report by the Cam C. Gardner Institute of uh, University of Utah that details these statistics through 2015. I've noticed the fact that the 20, in 2014, travelers spent over $8 billion in state and created over $1 billion in tax revenues. That grew by more than 18% in 2015. All the extractive revenues in the state can't compare. Thanks for tackling this subject yet again. It ain't over until it's over. That's Veronica and Teasdale. Thanks for that, Veronica. We now bring in uh, Representative Mike Noel, Republican from uh, Kanab. Uh, Representative Noel, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I uh, appreciate you taking the, the time. I want to get, just get your uh, general uh, reaction to uh, Secretary Zinke's uh, recommendations. Is this go as far as you would have liked? Are you disappointed, pleased? Uh, no, I think it's fine. I think it's the general outline that's out there. It hasn't uh, certainly the executive order uh, 13792 was a review of the designation of monuments under the Antiquities Act. So I think what he has outlined, I think, uh, is good. And I think the, the information that he will gather here, continue to gather here in the next uh, several months before this whole process is over, I think will uh, end up... Uh, being very, very good for my district, for for uh, House District 73 and for San Juan, Kane, and Garfield County. I know my county commissioners were very happy with it, and I think the people in my county are happy with it, too. Are there areas, do you agree with Secretary Zinke, that there are areas within the uh, area that was designated by President Obama, smaller areas, that do merit National Monument status? Well, I think that's just a given that, uh, that that's going to happen. Uh, of course, my position all along has been that uh, since 1906, we've had a tremendous amount of uh, legislation passed, and the legislation that has passed has adequately protected uh, areas such as uh, what we find in the Grand Staircase and also in the Bears Ears. But uh, this is the direction the president wants to go. I support him. Uh, again, I, I I feel strongly that through multiple use and uh, through a process, a planning process outlined in the Federal Land Policy Management Act, that there are uh, adequate protections in place that can be can protect these places, and we've seen that through many many resource management management plans. So I think it can. I think, however, this can happen if, in fact, there are specific areas uh, like our national parks, the Mighty Five that the Congress wants to designate, I think that's fine. But the Antiquities Act in and of itself, as you know, passed in 1906, there was nothing of record uh, that allowed for the, the protections out there on the public lands that we have today. So President uh, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, the act, as uh, Secretary Zinke said, has served us well, and we've had some wonderful places set aside. But again, uh, the fact that in Utah, in San Juan County, uh, in Kane County, and Garfield County especially, 
uh, after 150 years of, uh, of uh, settlement in these areas, that these areas are still in a, situ- in a place where they can be designated as national monuments. And I just don't see the kind of destruction that's been called out by others to say that we need to add another layer of management on top of it. But again, I support the direction we're going. I think the fact that the way the executive order read and the way the report read, what you'll see is you'll see a significant downsizing of the Bears Ears and then what will follow the other 20-plus monuments. You'll see a significant downsizing to an area that can be protected and that can be utilized for uh, like national park status is what will probably end up happening in those areas. What is what's the jeopardy? What's the harm um, in the you know increased restrictions? If you characterize it that way, of, of a national monument, is it the economy? Is it jobs? Uh, well, I think the main restriction is if you've had to deal with the federal regulatory process that goes on on public lands, and especially in a monument area, that the limitations are extreme. For instance, let's talk about the Grand Staircase. Uh, the commercial activity, uh, movie filming, is a very, very benign, non-impacting type activity, but it's not allowed. This used to be uh, King County filmed 170-plus movies in this area here, and they still film them in, the, in parks. They film them in the national recreation areas. But the monument, for some reason, eliminated that type of commercial activity. Existing roads that have been in place for over 100 years, and we're not talking about new roads, but many of those roads have been slated for closure. As you know, we're in a lawsuit the state of Utah, the entire state of Utah, uh, over 15,000 roads in litigation. Uh, there's 1,000 miles of roads in the Grand Staircase that were closed down. These are roads that allow people to access these areas, not increase in, uh, impacts as far as more roads, but to access the existing areas that are out there, roads that allow people to hunt, go out and hunt in those areas, cattle operators to access them. In the case of the Bears Ears on the, in the forested areas and up here on the Kaibab, the North Kaibab, I just went to a meeting where they have not kept up <coughs> on the road management, and it's in caused increased uh, fire hazards, lack of the ability to go in and do uh, resource-type uh, management on forest to, to reduce the uh, catastrophic fires that we've had in the urban interface. So there's a lot of restrictions. I could go through many of them, but I'll give you one example. We, we talk about, uh, I think it was Veronica from Teasdale said, all this growth in the economy, uh, we've had uh, uh, an application in for over five years to increase the power supply and, and upgrade existing power line coming into Kanab from uh, our power source uh, in the Glen Canyon uh, Dam and also uh, the Navajo, which is soon to close down, but there are a power line coming in that wants to be upgraded. It's merely an arm structure change. It's taken five years to be able to even get that off the ground. So it took years and years to get through uh, areas up in uh, Garfield County uh, because of uh, uh, restrictions on those areas. So there are added restrictions, added costs, uh, uh, even in the area of Boulder, we lost the Boulder Hydro plant there with the new restriction that came in. That was that was a fish issue with with Colorado cutthroat trout. So for people to say that that doesn't create 
additional bureaucratic hurdles. They just not uh, they're just not being honest about it, and, and I'm sure they know that in Boulder. They're they're certainly finding out over in the town of Torrey when uh, uh, if they would if they want to upgrade their water supply, they've got to change the right of way. Well, you can't get rights of ways in national monuments. You can't get rights of ways in uh, these areas. You just don't get them. It took us seven years to fight for right-of-way on water rights that we wanted in, in Kane County. And finally, at the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they finally reneged and said, okay, you can put a, a, a well on Utah water rights. So it's a very, very, it's a much more difficult and much more complicated than people want to put it. It's not just a matter of slapping a designation on and everything's going to be fine in the future. It comes with a whole lot of other problems that come along with it. What does, Representative Noel, what does uh, multiple use uh, mean to you? Of course, it, it, <laughs> this is hotly debated. What, uh, how broadly can, can these lands be used in, in a multiple-use uh, manner? Can, can there be a balance between extractive industry and tourism and the environment? Yeah, not, and we talk about this is extractive, but in many cases, for instance, cattle grazing, that's not an extractive industry. That's an industry that regrows. Timber harvesting is not an extractive industry. That industry regrows. Right now, we have, I'll just give you an example of North Kaibab. They're growing 72 million board feet of timber on the Kaibab. 72 million. They're harvesting 6 million. Any genius can figure out that you've got a huge buildup of, of fuel source there at some point in time when it burns is going to cause a catastrophic fire. So many of it is not even extractive industry. In the case of oil and gas, yes, that is an extractive industry, and I feel strongly in the future that that will, that will change, that we will probably go to more, uh, in fact, I know we will go to more renewable-type industry resources like wind power, solar generation. That, again, is another good example. There are areas in the 3,000-square-mile Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument and the 2,000-square-mile barriers, as designated, that you could put in some very, very uh, low-impact-type solar power generation. That's not allowed. The solar generation is not allowed on some of these large sagebrush flat areas at an altitude and a climate where it's about 20% more effective than, say, Phoenix and some of the lower elevation. So it just restricts so much. I believe strongly that uh, we can, in fact, uh, add uh, the technology we know about and cell tower technology in these areas and make it uh, essentially uh, non-visible for people so that people don't go out and get lost and uh, we end up killing people. So there are things that we can do in this environment and still protect the environment that we haven't, uh, that we don't see. But when you put it into the vision that, well, you can't have any new Title V rights-of-ways in these areas, it just doesn't make sense. So I think there needs to be a balance. I certainly believe that we're going to be moving away from coal uh, extraction. <laughs> it seems to be an, uh, an area where uh, there's other ways and better ways to uh, to generate electricity, but that doesn't mean that there couldn't be in the future some uses of coal that would be very, very beneficial to our society, such as the uh, the type of plastics that we put together. I can't know what do they call them, the composite plastics that they're working on at the University of Utah. Those a lot of those would come out of coal generator, out of coal, and also you would have coal, uh, coal uh, 
gasification as South Africans do to generate electricity. So there's areas that I look, I'm just saying multiple use, there can be balance. That's exactly what planning's about. That's exactly what resource management plans are about and why we say uh, we have an open process. We have a process where the, 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 the counties, the state, the federal government, the NGOs, the, the permittees all have a say in, in, in how this land is managed. And the environmental process that we go through is a detailed process that allows the manager to make better decisions. But when you start with the caveat that, oh, you can't do anything here, it's pretty hard to make a better decision, whether it's solar generation or wind generation or cell tower technology. Uh, You can't make a better decision if somebody single-handedly, one person, in the case of the Bears Ears and the Grand Staircase, Charles Wilkinson, a professor, ideologically driven professor from the University of Colorado Boulder, basically wrote the whole thing. He wrote it and knocked it out. And, you know, really beautiful, flowery uh, proclamation that was signed by uh, Obama and President uh, Clinton. But the deep, the devil was in the details of that. So you had one guy and you had no input from anybody else that visits that area, recreates in that area, wants to have the area be beautified, wants to have access to, oh, this is my perfect place I want to go to, but I don't want anybody else going over here. So you can go visit the Wave because we have roads going there. But in order to get to this location, uh, no, we're going to shut down the road there. We're going to limit your access to that area or whatever. The planning process is very skewed when you have a proclamation written by one man and, and instituted by one president. So... That's just my thoughts on it. I've just lived under it for over 20 years, and it doesn't seem to me to be conducive to a good uh, management scheme. Representative Dewell, we do have a a caller, I think, maybe has a question for you. Tom and Vernal, uh, welcome to the program, Tom. Uh, Thank you. I I am sympathetic to Kane County's plight. I live in rural Utah myself, and uh, I think it's important to get good facts that bear on this, this issue. Pardon the pun. But Grand Staircase has a 20-year history that you can really look at. And if anybody wants to confirm what's been going on in Grand Staircase as far as population goes, just Google Keene County population and you'll get the U.S. Census Bureau's statistics, which tell me that in 1996, at the creation of Grand Staircase, there were 5,891 people in the county. In 2014, the last statistics they had, there were 7,254, so 1,363 people increase in 20 years' time. That's like a 123% population rate increase. The only reason I throw that out there is uh, there's more than one point of view as to how King County is doing, and some of the Chamber of Commerce uh, proclamations to that effect contend that in, in actuality things are not nearly as bleak as you sometimes hear from the other side. So I, I just encourage people to do their own research, which is very easy to do. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate that. Uh, Representative Noel, we'll get a response for you on that particular uh, point, and then we'll, uh, we need to move forward. We'll, we'll take a break and uh, move on to Mrs. Lopez-Weisskonk. Uh, Representative Noel, your response. Sure, yeah, and that's, uh, we have one of the entire state of Utah's population is growing tremendously. There's no question about it. We're the fastest-growing state uh, in the nation. Washington County, our sister city, is the fastest-growing county in the state. 
<clears throat> there's tremendous growth going on. There's no question about it. The difference is, is that number one, uh, I understand. I know these statistics, and this is my fifteenth uh, year as elected representative. My numbers are pretty close to seventy percent, so I have a pretty good feel for the people within my district and within King County and Garfield County. Uh, we do have uh, an increase. We've got three new hotels here in the last several years. We have uh, more tourist business. There's no question about it. We've got lots of tourists coming into this area. Bryce Canyon, Zion Canyon have hit record highs. At the same time, the Glen Canyon National Recreation Area had, I think, close to 5 million people visit that area. So there's no question there's growth. There's no question there's growth in all kinds of it's, uh, and, and that's not the issue necessarily that I want to see. If I want to talk about growth, I like this, the fact that we have a, a type of growth that creates a family atmosphere in terms of children. Uh, we've lost children in our public school system. We've lost children in Garfield County and Boulder, Utah, because it seems to be a single-use type uh, activity that, uh, that generates uh, the type of business owners that don't have families. We have a hard time even filling a lot of the positions here that are the lower scale positions that normally were filled by young people in high school and, and early beginnings of college age. So the population dynamics are completely different. Uh, we just had a study by uh, Natalie Gottner from University of Utah uh, Foundation. I think it's, I can't remember, her, but she did a study on how the growth is. All of the rural counties, rural counties in my district are all going the opposite direction as the state. In other words, the pyramid of growth is at the top, where it's usually uh, the older people. That's skewed. It doesn't look like a Christmas tree. It looks like an upside-down Christmas tree because your your age is increasing. So the overall, in that same period of time you talked about, the gentleman from Bernal talked about, the population is skewed. You've got a much older population, and younger people are not not in these areas because the type of jobs that are needed in these areas, many of which come from, uh, the multiple type use that I'm talking about, <clears throat> but many also come from the fact that uh, there's not a, there's not the type of businesses that attract families has changed. So the demographics have changed; they continue to change. And and my my job as a le- as a representative of this area is to try to look at all the, the different types of uses. There seems to be this uh, notion out there that not I'm not in support. Of tourism, I strongly support tourism. Ask the people that are involved in the tourist industry. Some of the biggest uh, supporters are Ruby's Inn and many of the uh, <coughs> the businesses that have actually thrived under uh, uh, what I believe is a, is a multiple use type concept. But you do have to have access. You do have to have power and water as a community grows, and those are some of the limiting factors that a monument creation uh, causes for you. Uh, Representative Well, um, we are past uh, time for this part part of the program, but I do have uh, an email uh, who is uh, directly attacking you, Representative. I want to give you a chance to respond. Here's what Carl says. The only thing Mike Noel is interested in is getting kickbacks from extraction companies, has no concern from Native Americans in the region. It's time to move forward with land preservation, protecting the environment. These antiquated ideas of Noel's need to go the way of the dinosaurs. Your response, Representative. Now, let me take the, yeah, that's interesting. I guess I report all of my donations and everything that I have. All of my businesses are open. I do have a cattle operation that I've had here for well over 40 years. 
I work uh, as the executive director for the Conservancy District. So those are my two main sources of income. All of my donations are, quote, I don't know, he talks about kickbacks. I'm not sure what that is, but I've heard that before, and it's it's basically rhetoric. But I really want to tackle the Native American issue. I've been a member of the Utah uh, the, the uh, Native American Liaison Committee for over 15 years. I work for I work very well with Native Americans. I just recently passed the first passed the Native American Graves Repatriation Act, the first time that uh, the state of Utah recognized that anything, any body, any burial found on public lands, uh, if you call within 48 hours, the state of Utah will come down and they will collect those remains and they will be put into a storage area. This past year, because the storage area is up by... Uh, the, uh, this is the place monument. It's above ground, and it's it's not really a, a good location for burial and human remains. It doesn't it doesn't meet the needs and the sacred needs of the Native Americans. I passed legislative this legislation this year that would allow for those remains to be buried within our state park boundaries. Uh, I've had a project going here for many many years called the Jackson Flash Reservoir, which is uh, we actually uncovered. This is all private property. Uh, Native American remains. We set aside uh, several acres in that area, uh, put an easement together, uh, gave the easement to the American uh, Archaeological Society for perpetual interment of Native American remains. So uh, my own brother-in-law is married, was married to a full-blooded Navajo Indian. She's passed away. So I have four, two nieces and two nephews that are Native American. So Carl from wherever, uh, basically throws out this kind of, of propaganda information, which is absolutely false. And I get along good with the Native Americans. I know there are some now. I can give you the details of those. But even the Mary boys who don't like me now, uh, that's because they didn't get into office. And there was a uh, – and Rebecca Benelli is now the commissioner in, in San Juan County. And I work very closely with Commissioner Benelli and hundreds and hundreds of Native Americans in San Juan County. Uh, uh, our friends, I call friends. So I just think that's false, and uh, it's unfortunate people want to bring that up. And it's not. There's no. There's no basis of facts. To anything this man said. <clears throat> we uh, do have a caller coming in. I'm not sure if he wants to respond to to Mr. Noel. Uh, we do need to to move uh, forward. I, I think that's what we'll do. We'll take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll have Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk, a former Ute Mountain Ute Councilwoman, Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition co-chair. We're taking your calls at 800-826-1495, and we're taking your emails to upraxcess at gmail.com. We've had with us in this segment to Representative Mike Newell, Republican from Kanab. Representative Newell, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll have a caller, and we have an email, and we'll be talking with uh, Mrs. Uh, Lopez-Whiteskunk. Later in the program, Bruce Adams, San Juan County Commissioner, and uh, Chris Sager, Executive Director of the Western Values Project. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking about future of Barry's Ears National Monument. Secretary Ryan Zinke, Interior Secretary, uh, has issued his interim report with his interim recommendations, including that the boundary be revised. We assume that uh, he's recommending the boundary be reduced. Uh, he's uh, re- asking the president to request congressional authority to enable tribal co-management of designated cultural areas within the revised Bears Ears. 
He is asking that Congress make more appropriate conservation designations, more appropriate in his uh, view, uh, such as national conservation areas or recreation areas, and that Congress clarify the intent of management practices of wilderness or wilderness study areas within the monument. We want to know what you think at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Or you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And I want to go to another email next, and then we'll bring on Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk. This email comes in from Tim. Uh, Tim says, Good morning, Tom. I have to address a few of Mr. Noel's misstatements. The North Kaibab is not a national monument. Torrey's water line that needs to be upgraded is on Thousand Lake Mountain in Fish Lake National Forest, more than 40 road miles away, nowhere near Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. By recommending that Bears Ears be reduced, Secretary Zinke's report demonstrates a fundamental misunderstanding of the cultural, historic, and scientific objects that are found edge-to-edge in the current boundaries. It's not just about protecting cliff dwellings. Bears Ears is a cultural landscape that is inextricably bound to both the history and the modern cultures of Native Americans. The Obama administration cut more than half a million acres from the tribe's proposal, including many significant cultural sites. If anything, the boundary should be enlarged. That is uh, Tim. You can email us as well, upraxcess at gmail.com. Our caller, it turns out, wanted to uh, talk directly to uh, Representative Noel, so I apologize for... uh, we're moving, moving on precipitously. Call back if you would like. And the number is 800-826-1495. Later in the program, we're talking with Bruce Adams, San Juan County Commissioner, and Chris Sager, Executive Director of the Western Values Project. Right now, we bring in Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk, former Ute Mountain Ute Councilwoman, and Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition co-chair. Welcome back to the program. Appreciate it. Hi. Uh, so, what is? Uh, let me get your general reaction to Secretary Zinke's recommendations. He is recommending uh, that the uh, the boundaries be revised. We assume that means uh, that the that the ears be shrunk. Uh, is that something you agree with? No, I don't. Actually, I feel very disappointed in in that recommendation. And you know, first and foremost, I, I do want to make one statement, and I want to make this very clear to all Utahns and, and others throughout the nation. we got to stop and go all the way back to basics and remember one thing. This continent, United, specifically the United States, at one time was all indigenous homelands, hunting and gathering grounds of Native people. So no matter where you look at it, what region, what parcel piece of land, there is always going to be a cultural significance cultural significance on the level of science, traditional knowledge, and and just generally that's one of the biggest areas that tribal leaders utilize their sovereign voices to try to speak from and represent a lot of where their views and stances are um, in relationship to public lands, the lands in and around the reservation. So we've got to stop and remember that. The Natives never asked for their boundaries to be written where they are. We didn't get the consultation. We were just put where we were prescribed to be. So we got to always remember those basic details, what little we fight for, which is just access and preservation for all people, is absolutely important. You need to, we need to broaden our scope of view. We need to understand what today means because today is who we are based upon what happened before. And it's not just 
the ancient or the uh, modern Native Americans that have that value, but it represents our cultural ancestors and how they utilize the land. There's great amounts of details and knowledge that are written on that land. Everywhere we are has has great value to us and always will. You heard the representative, I'm not sure if you heard, but Representative Noel uh, did uh, express point of view that you do here that uh, the the, you know, the cultural artifacts, uh, some of these very important uh, sites to Native Americans, are currently sufficiently protected under under current law. Um, what, and therefore, what's the need for the National Monument? I wonder if you could address that. What's, uh, what is uh, changed, what's enhanced with the National Monument status? Well, so the National Monument status basically covers a certain region of public lands, first and foremost, does not touch the public or the private areas. And one of the reasons why the tribes wanted to affect the public lands is, is for continued access for everybody. For protection of significant artifacts, you've got to remember, protection for the physical artifacts, things that you can look down on the ground and pick up, like a rock, a shard of pottery, an arrowhead, yeah, that is one thing. But the thing that escapes everybody are the things that you don't see that are obvious, which are beneath the ground surface, underneath the waterways. Those things also need to be protected, and those are all sacred. Without that, life would not exist, and it does have a significant cultural value because we use water to pray with. We are blessed for the ground we walk on, so it is an insult to say that there is no cultural presence on the ground that they walked on and looked at with the naked eye because you don't see everything on the top surface. There's always things underneath. We are always observant a mound because we don't know what was buried there. We don't know who walked there. We don't know what ceremony may have been conducted there, you know, during the ancient times of, of the Anasazis and the Pueblos, the Zunis, the, the Hopis. Um, so, you know, it, it's unfair to say where I walked at, there was no clear cultural presence. I beg to differ. There's much more that meets the eye from what's obviously seen. Would you advocate for, uh, you know, uh, enlarging, as Tim said in his email, and he says that so far from uh, being reduced to bears, there's probably ought to be enlarged. What would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I mentioned in my opening statement, we have to stop and remember this whole area of the United States of America is indigenous homelands, hunting and gathering sites where ceremonies were conducted. Absolutely. You know, we didn't ask for the size of our reservations, but we got what is stated in many policies, the smallest amount possible. If, in our view, it would be greater, because we are people who use the land. We are people who have always appreciated and, and thank our Creator for what we have. But we are thankful for what we have in this modern day. It's not everything that we wanted. There's areas that, you know, our people used to go gather willows. They can't do it because it became somebody's private land. There's places that they may have uh, collected herbs. It belongs to, you know, an, another group, a federal group, maybe the forestry or, you know, different agencies. And so it, it adds an, a layer of 
the natives and other people having having not having the opportunity to to access that. And so, you know, we we just get caught up in all the 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 obvious and possession. You know, there's a lot of the lands that have been converted to or transferred over to private or industrial use. And so when those things happen, we can't do what we used to do. We talked earlier in the program about multiple use. This is, you know, of course, important. To, that term means different things to different people. It's a loaded term, and that's kind of the crux of the, of the argument. You mentioned earlier that you're you're concerned um, about, I guess, uh, everyone. I can't remember the term you used, but, but all people being able to access this land. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I I had to open my view of, who uses the land today in this modern day time who utilizes the land it's not just native americans it's it's people who go out hiking it's people who go out camping it's people who go out and and rock climb and for whatever reason they're drawn to these locations there is a sense of peace and healing that occurs um the area that you know we're we're speaking of is is so beautiful and and to know and to think that it could be disturbed with um, larger trucks coming through to to mine different materials, um, you know, it, it, it in the name of economic development, it just doesn't make sense. Today, a quick dollar, tomorrow, forever changed and unable to be used. Mm. Those are just a reality of that. Once we contaminate water, once we contaminate the ground, it's changed. We will not be able to use it. Our next seven generations will not be able to use it. That is a scary thought. We'll have about five minutes left in our conversation here with uh, Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk, former Ute Mountain Ute Councilwoman and Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition co-chair. I'll ask our uh, engineer to uh, give us a station identification right now, just just, uh, that. And then we'll be back with uh, Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org. And you are listening to Access Utah, an extended version of the program. Seems like we always extend the program when we talk about public lands, and especially Bears Ears National Monument. Uh, the high stakes here, and that's where I want to go next, Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk. Uh, what are the stakes here? It sounds to me like, uh, you know, for different people, different parts of this are important. It seems like to all people, there these issues are very important. It is high stakes. So for some, it's the environment. For some, it's economy and jobs. For you know, others, it's um, you know, archaeology, etc., I think I hear you saying that the uh, maybe top of your list is 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 culture identity. Is yes, that a, a good characterization? Absolutely, and, and I say this not in just the context of Native Americans, but it is very much in the same conversation and context of the Mormon settlers that came out. There is it affects everybody. This did happen. People did come. People did settle. Not always did we live, you know, in perfect harmony, but it did happen. Likewise, the designation of the monument, it did happen. The high stakes that I see that are on the, on the table right now is, at the end of the day, whatever the, the final decision is, 
this is going to set the tone for all public lands conversations throughout the nation. This will be the precedence that will be set. How do we want to set our next generations up for this conversation? How do we want the land to be able to be viewed and valued for everybody? And this is a, a very, very critical time in that conversation. I'll throw that question out to our listeners as well. Uh, you can respond to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, or call us to 800-826-1495. What are the stakes for you? What's important uh, to you in, in this uh, debate, this conflict, um, and especially as regards uh, Bears Ears and the other national monuments that are under review? Is it the environment? Is it economy jobs? Is it uh, Is it culture? Um, love to hear from you. We just have a couple minutes left with Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk. I wonder, another important question, you've heard this a lot, not only the parameters of the uh, National Monument, the uh, multiple use and, uh, and what uses get to be used there, is um, are different groups being listened to? It seems to be very important, not only with the creation of the monument, there were complaints on one side that said uh, President Obama didn't listen to us. And now with Secretary Zinke, for example, Veronica and Teasdale characterized his tour as a non-listening tour. She didn't feel listened to on her side. What about from the point of view of the Native American community? Well, in that respect, I, I would have to agree with the non-listener because when you put the Native American community in a position of where we almost feel like we had to beg for the small amount of time um, in comparison to some of the the, the time slots that he afforded others, um, for the one hour the tribal leaders got, and they, you know, clear up to the last minute, they were requesting, requesting, and not getting confirmation that he would sit down with them, and finally they did. He he only afforded them one hour to where others got a few hours with him. Um, so, you know, I think that on that level, I think that he didn't quite clearly get and collect the voices that really also had had a needed to express themselves. But on the same token, I think that um, it, it, it from where I'm sitting, and I'm I've become more of a watcher and a listener, and I've collected a lot of information. I still um, am am privy to some information, not all, but from where I sit and where I've watched and listened, he largely was more accepting to the delegation side, to the legis state legislatures and the governor, because I don't, it would have been nice to know that he allowed for some tribal leaders to help guide him through and show him some of the areas, but that wasn't afforded. Um, I know that the people in Kanab had wanted to speak to him. Polls have strongly demonstrated that there is a strong support for leaving the boundaries intact and leaving the um, monument as is. Um, I, I don't think he's really paying attention. It was important to hear from spe specifically Utahans. He's not even listening to them. We will leave it there. Regina Lopez-Whiteskunk, former Ute Mountain Ute Councilwoman and Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition co-chair, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you.
We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Bruce Adams, San Juan County Commissioner. And later in the program, Chris Sager, Executive Director of Western Values Project, will join us. And we hope to have your comment as well. I'm asking uh, the question, what are the stakes? What's important to you in this discussion? Is it the environment? Is it the economy uh, and uh, jobs? Is it uh, is it culture? Uh, is it all of those? And what do you think should happen? Uh, what would you say in the comment? Perhaps you have already commented. The public comment period on Bears Ears has been extended to July 10th. 800-826-1495 is the toll-free number. 800-826-1495. Or you can join us to upraxcess at gmail.com. 